The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. If you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in John chapter 1, and let me congratulate you on making it through 2023. Well, it's not midnight yet, so there's still time. You to wreck it all. I'll tell you what. Man, I don't know about you. How many of you want 2023 to keep going? How many of you are like, this was the best year. I love this year. This was awesome. How many of you are more like me or like, I can't wait for the new year. I'm ready for something new. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I know that the new year is going to be great uh, because Christmas was great. You guys have a good Christmas? All right. I had a good Christmas. I, I got some Jordans uh, and my wife got a juicer. You know it's going to be a good year, right? Right? I mean, some of you are already like, like you're thinking about the kale salads that are coming next week and all this stuff. It's already happening in my house. And so I was there and I would be like working or I'd be watching the game or something. Uh, and she would come in uh, with, a, with a cup of something and she would say, with a big smile on her face, try this. And typically I have like an like a unwritten rule that when someone says smell this or try this with a big smile on their face, the answer is always no. All right, but I trust her and I love her and I know it's going to be a good year. So, so I'm getting all kinds of vitamins and minerals and antitoxins and all those wonderful things that are in the juices. Well, today we're talking about just moving forward, and uh, we have a saying here at LifePoint, we want our life to point to Christ everywhere in every way, and our logo is a a reflection of a life that is looking up and moving forward. That's why it's angled like that. And and so here we are at the end of 2023 saying, okay, like like we want to look up and, and, and we want to we want to move forward. And, and really, at the end of the year, a lot of times we we're forced to really ask that question aren't we? I mean, we're kind of forced to ask the question, you know, what what do I need to do to to like do a little better? What do I need to do in order to move forward? What what needs to change in my life or or what kind of things need need to happen and in who I am or where I'm going? And so this is kind of the the start of, of really analyzing and slowing down and just simply reflecting. And so before we just kind of get into what it looks like to move forward, I want to get into what Jesus talks about in order to move forward. So in John chapter 1, John, the apostle John, is the author of the book of John, and and he starts out talking about the Word. And he's talking about how the Word was with God and the Word was God, and then he talks about how Jesus is that Word. And how the word becomes flesh and the word dwells among us and we've seen his glory, glory from the only son from the father. And so here, here is like the beginning of John chapter 1 and then John starts to talk about John, not himself but John the Baptist. Are you with me? And so you've got the author John talking about a John, and John the Baptist is in John chapter 1, and he's starting his ministry, and he's kind of like this celebrity of Israel, if you will. Are you following me like that? And so people are kind of looking up to John. He's out there. He comes out of the wilderness. He's dressed like a rugged man, right? He's got a giant beard like me, and he's like, okay, this is what's happening. And then in John chapter 1, I think it's verse uh, 29, uh, John, he sees Jesus coming toward him him and he says behold 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus comes on the scene and starts his ministry. We're going to pick it up in John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold. Everyone say behold. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And so right off the bat, John the Baptist again is reiterating that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, for the Jewish people, this would make perfect sense. For us, uh, I'm not sure what that means. But for the Jewish people, the Lamb was actually started off in the Passover. So God promised that his children would be delivered out of Egypt, delivered out of slavery, out of bondage. And so what would happen is God would send plagues on the land in Egypt. This is all in Exodus. So he would send these plagues, and one of the plagues was an angel of death to kill the firstborn son so that Pharaoh would finally release the people. Are you tracking with me? So the Jewish people were told by God, you need to find a lamb, you need to take a lamb, you need to sacrifice that lamb and paint the blood of that lamb over the doorpost so that when the angel of death comes, it would pass over. See, that's where we get that name. It would pass over that household, and the symbolism is obvious. And this symbolism would continue with the Jewish people all throughout from generation to generation. And the symbolism is this, is that the sins of the family would be placed upon the lamb as a sacrificial substitute for their sins. And so when they sacrificed the lamb, they would show that their sins would be forgiven and the angel of death would pass over that place. John the Baptist now, in John chapter 1, looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so what he's saying is, this person, this man, Jesus himself, is the sacrificial substitute that takes away the sins of the world, which is actually not what they were expecting at all. They weren't expecting that the lamb would actually be a person. And John the Baptist is saying uh, before this, he's like, it's always been about him. All of the prophets write about him. All of the Old Testament points to him. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the lamb of God. And so John says, behold him. Pay attention to him. Look at him. He is the one. And so listen to me. That plea is still relevant for us today. As looking up, moving forward, the foundation of who we are and what God wants to do starts with us beholding Jesus. Behold Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who came to die for our sins in our place because you and I, we have a sin debt that we owe before God. He is holy, we are not, we need a substitute. Behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Look at how the story goes, verse 37. Then two disciples heard him say this, And they followed Jesus. Everyone say, follow Jesus. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you 
seeking. I love this. So they start to follow Jesus, and Jesus' first words recorded in the Gospel of John is, what are you seeking? When you think about the new year, I think Jesus asks us the same question. What are you seeking? Like, like what, what are you looking for? Because 365 days ago, you and I were sitting there talking about 2023 and how great it was going to be, right? And, and what you were going to do and who you were going to become. And, 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 and 365 days ago, believe it or not, you were sitting there saying, okay, we're about to start a new year. We're going to go here. We're going to see this. This is what's going to happen. And Jesus, just like he does, looks at us and says, okay, but what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And, and Jesus actually goes a little further, and, and, and he's implying, what does that have to do with me? You know, sometimes we get so busy and we get so caught up looking forward that we forget about looking up and beholding Jesus. But, but can I just ask you to pause for a moment? Just for a moment, I know this is the busiest season of the year. But let's just pause, and, and some of you you, you, you don't let yourself pause because you don't like silence. You don't like to pause because you keep the radio up in your car or when there's any downtime, you're scrolling through your phone because you can't just simply reflect. I mean, heavens forbid, God forbid you actually think about what's going on in your hearts. You feel real feelings and engage your souls, so we try to busy ourselves so we never have to worry about that. But this morning, I'm asking you, before we start moving forward, can we pause and take a moment and listen to Jesus ask us to our souls, what are you seeking? Like, what are you looking for? What do you want? And then Jesus says, what does that have to do with me? You know, a lot of times we don't know necessarily how to reflect, you know? It's like we don't know how to interpret the, the screamings of our own hearts. And, and if I were to ask you the question, what are you seeking, a lot of us may not even have an answer. And, and I think sometimes if we just simply go back in 2023 and we look at our spending or we look at our calendar or we look at our browsing history or whatever, I mean, it starts to give us a hint of what we're actually seeking, you know? And many will come to an end of the year and just simply go with the wind not actually have a target on the map of their lives where you say, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And so I want to end this year asking you the question, what are you really looking for? And what are you seeking? These two guys, they follow Jesus and Jesus stops and asks them, what are you seeking? And they turn and they say, um, where are you staying? It's a funny answer, isn't it? They're like, well, where are you staying? Because, you know, 
uh, we're following you and we're not real sure if you're homeless or not. Uh, and so, you know, we thought maybe we would, we would follow you, but honestly, it's getting late and we don't have anywhere to stay. So what are the plans, Jesus? Right? So in other words, we, we need a place to stay tonight. But, but in hearing their response, it tells me that they kind of missed the whole question. They're just like looking around and saying, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I could use a pillow. But Jesus, he, he doesn't turn them away. He, he very patiently in verse 39, he says this. He says, come and you will see. Everyone say, come and see. So Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like push them away and like, oh, you guys, you don't get it, right? But the good news, but Jesus receives people with all kinds of selfish motives. Even people who don't even know what they're seeking. They don't even know what they need. They don't even know what they want. They don't even know. So they're just looking out there and saying, hey, this looks nice or this looks nice or, or we need a place to stay. But Jesus meets you right where you are. And, and so maybe you're, you're heading into the new year. And you say, you know what, I really need Jesus to help me with my marriage. Or, or I need Jesus to really help me with my singleness issue. Or, or, or I need Jesus to help me with a parenting issue or a financial crisis or, or, or a health crisis or something like that. And so maybe you're like these guys and you're thinking about what's actually just going on around you and you're like, well, I don't know what's happening next. So a place to stay would be nice. And so I don't actually have any answers to what 2024 holds and I'm kind of anxious about the future. And so I just need a place to stay. Listen, Jesus can help you with all of those things. Jesus meets you right where you are. But the questions that Jesus are asking you this morning are a little bit bigger. Look, look in verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which also means rock. And so Jesus' first question is, what are you seeking? But I think Jesus is actually asking us even this morning a second question, which is, what is your name? I know that sounds like a simple one. I think if you had that on a test, you'd get that right. What is your name? Simon, he's not asking for a new name. But Jesus gives him one, and he gives him a name that actually defines his future. In a way, Jesus is like re redoing his identity. Jesus goes through three actual points of, of Peter's identity. He says, okay, your, your name is Simon. That's your current name. You're the son of John, which kind of marks your identity from your parents, right? And, and that kind of has to do with your past. And so you're, you're Simon. You're, you're, you're the son of John. But I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Rock, which actually is a picture of his future. 
And notice there's an important lesson here for us because when you come to Jesus, what happens is you, you cease to be defined by your past. You, you stop being defined by, by who you once were. Everything changes. You're not defined by your parents. When you come to Jesus, you're not, you're not defined by your present situation or your shortcomings. You're no longer defined by your worldly accomplishments. You're no longer uh, defined by your mistakes or your failures. And you start to be defined by who Jesus is making you into be. And so Jesus, he knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly who you were. But most importantly, he's shaping you into someone that he desires to follow him. And so if you think about 2023 or even beyond, the question goes, what names have you allowed to define you? What names have kind of uh, been used by the enemy to kind of uh, assault or insult who God desires you to be. Things like unloved or failure or difficult or you're a problem, a burden, you're not enough. Maybe you've, you've had the, 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 the name addict thrown at you or, or broken or damaged or, or maybe you feel like a, a, a failed father, a criminal or worthless. Now listen, that might be at some level accurate and, and maybe you've done some things to maybe earn that slander or maybe you've, you've, you feel like you've deserved that name. But when you come to meet Jesus, or, or rather Jesus comes and meets you where you are, he calls you by a new name. And listen, he doesn't call you by the name that, 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 that you, you earn. He doesn't call you by the name that, that you are. He calls you by the name that you're going to be. He calls you thing in the scripture. He calls you things like, like beloved. Or, or chosen, or adopted, or, or redeemed and restored. He gives you a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. He says, you're new. It's not just the old you just trying to do over or try harder or be better. It's a new you. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Anyone who is in Christ gets a new identity. He changes who you are. Jesus says to Simon, you're going to be called Peter. That's your new name. And notice he starts calling him that immediately. Not because he's earned it and not because he's deserved it. It's, it's many, many chapters later that he says, upon your, your understanding of who I am, Peter, upon you I will build my church. That will be the rock of the foundation of the church that Jesus is the Messiah. But he calls him that immediately, not because he's earned it, not because he's deserved it, but because Christ has earned it for you. You need to understand that, that you are a new creation because Christ has earned it for you, and he deserves all the glory. Look at verse 43 then. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. 
So he sees Philip, he calls to Philip, he says, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, we have found him. We have found the one. Okay, so follow me. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus asks us, what are you seeking? Jesus gives us a new name, but then Jesus gives us the essential invitation to the gospel, which is follow me. In Hebrew, lehacharai, which is much cooler than follow me. (laughs) Follow me, he says. What does it mean to follow Christ What does it mean according to the Gospels? Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't mean start being perfect. And and it doesn't mean you have to know every answer to the Bible. In those days, it just simply meant follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus invites people right where they are to follow him. And, and, and I want to acknowledge that when we say, oh, uh, it's about following Jesus, if we're honest, a lot of people don't even know what that actually means. Like back then, it was really straightforward, right? You just packed your bag and followed him, right? And so the call of the disciple would mean literally to go wherever your rabbi goes, to listen to whatever he teaches, to watch all the ways that he interacts with people, trying to imitate every move of your rabbi. But that is a little difficult for us, right? Because, because here we are, but it should give us a picture of what it actually means to follow Jesus, Two things, really, it's to know what your master knows, what your Lord knows, and do what your Lord does. Which means, follow me, if you want to be a disciple, there's no shortcut, guys. Amen? I mean, some of you have been doing this longer than me, but, but there's no shortcut to being a disciple, which means, listen, there's a lot of learning involved, yeah, I mean, I mean, this book is full of God's word, God's voice, and so what we want to do, if we're going to follow him, we're going to have to listen to him, and if we're going to listen to him, you're going to need to open the book. And, and so here we are, I mean, there's, there's no shortcuts to this, and so to be a disciple is going to be filled with a lot of learning, a lot of listening, a lot of uh, church attending, a lot of participating in small groups and discussion and prayer and reading books and growing in your understanding and growing in your knowledge and growing in Christ. And so and you, you're maybe hearing you say, you know what, I'm not a good reader or I'm not very academic. Listen, you don't have to be. And the reason I say that is because if you're in love with somebody, you're going to learn who they are and what they do. And so you're going to place yourself in situations where you can learn about Christ. Now, now that's only part of what it means to be a disciple. Because the other half of a disciple formula is actually the doing part. Everyone say doing. 
And so we want, we want to learn what our Lord does. We want to learn what our Lord says. We want to learn from his teaching, but we also want to follow him by action. The disciple doesn't simply merely want to know what his master knows so that he can, he can get it right on a test or, or stand in front of people and just simply say things. But you look at how he lives. What were his priorities? What was he passionate about? He came to seek and save the lost. Following Jesus means seeking what he knows and doing what he does, which means loving God and laying down his life for others. And so here at LifePoint, we have three simple actions that define our discipleship pathway. Three things. You think, I can do three things. No problem, right? Three simple things, six words. Number one, a faithful family. It means you're going to be a part of a community of friends. A faithful family means you're committed to building one another up in love. You're faithful to one another. That's the first thing. The second thing we see in the discipleship pathway is a sacrificial steward. It means you're committed to serving and giving and in the church and in the community and, and helping people, living generously with everything that God has given you, with your time, your talents, and your treasures. And so we want to be a faithful family and we want to be a sacrificial steward. And the third thing is an active ambassador. And what that means is you're just going to be praying for people. You're going to be encouraging people. You're going to be sharing the gospel with people who are far from God. You're going to be pouring out your life so that you can help others trust and treasure Jesus for life. And so that's how it looks here, practically speaking, to be a disciple. Faithful family, sacrificial steward, and an active ambassador. And if you want to know more about those, we have a foundations class coming up that you can sign up for. We go over all of those. But he says to Philip, Follow me. And Philip, he then goes to Nathanael. Look in verse uh, 45 again. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. The one who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth was like the redneck part of Israel, all right? I mean, they are like dueling banjos and pickup trucks, spitting tobacco. They marry their cousins out there, if you know what I'm saying, all right? And so, so there there's Nazareth, and Nathanael's like, whoa, Nazareth, what are you talking about? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what does Philip say? Come and see. Everyone say, come and see. He says, come and see. I mean, I mean, I don't know what comes out of Nazareth. I, don't, I can't explain it to you. I don't understand all of it. But come and see. I love this. Philip tells Nathaniel his story about Jesus. We found him. He's the one. He, he knows things. He does things. He's, he's the Christ. And Nathaniel asks an antagonistic question. How can a Messiah possibly come from Nazareth? And Philip doesn't even answer it. I don't know how. Just come and see. Some of you you have a friend you want to tell about Jesus, but you don't because you're afraid of their reaction. Listen, just tell your story and your experience with Jesus and then give the invitation to come and see. Just come and see. Verse 47. 
It says this, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That, that passage uh, talks about how, how in him there's no deceit, which probably means uh, uh, Nathaniel is probably falsely accused of something or, or that he's kind of an outcast among his peers and he's kind of looked down upon. He was, he was kind of shunned. But Jesus, he looks at Nathaniel and he says, listen, I know the truth. I know what you've been through and I see you. And I see you, verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, on the surface, that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? Right, I mean, just imagine like, like we're here on a Sunday morning and you walk in and you, you introduce me to your friend and I'm like, hey, I know you. I saw you at Walmart in the kitchen section. I mean, you're not gonna be like, oh, you're the son of God. You're probably gonna get creeped out a little bit or you're like, man, he's got a good memory. I, I don't know, but, but, but listen, something significant must happen under that tree that would cause Nathaniel to come to the conclusion that this guy, he is who he says he is. And so something must have happened that was so personal, so private, that Jesus knew everything about him. Now here's some creative licensing, if you will, but um, I got a clip from The Chosen to show you. Check this out. The one. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth. (laughs) Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Oh, (laughs) little dump on a craggy hilltop. Serious. No paved roads, no public buildings. (laughs) They barely have a synagogue. You can't. You really can't. Hey, I'm just telling it like it is. Why can't I do that? Because you're mean. The families. Illiterate day laborers and peasants, by the way, sleep under the same roof as their livestock. Listen to me. Honestly, Philip, saying the one is a Nazarene is practically heresy. Just come and see. I'm still hung up on the Nazareth of it all. (laughs) Come and see. Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. Do you know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful. And Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? 
I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him, look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. <laughs> there was a time in my life that I felt really angry with God. That I didn't have any real direction. And if you ask me what I was seeking, I, I was simply just seeking things of the world. When I was in college, I was invited to a Christian retreat. And I went because the girl that I liked was going and so I, I, I didn't have pure motives, if you know what I mean. And I remember when I got to the retreat, they gave me a, a T-shirt, and they gave me a Bible, and the very next morning they said, we're going to do what's called a quiet time. And that's just simply when you get alone with God and you read the scriptures and you pray. And, and up to this point in my life, I'd never read the scriptures. And I'd never prayed. But I remember going and finding a place outside of the retreat center. It was, it was under a tree. And I sat there under the tree and I read the verses that I was given to read. And after I read those verses, I was, I was in a place where I was kind of frustrated with God. Where I was, I was almost um, sharing my frustrations and my angers with God on, 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 on not necessarily who he was, but like, like what my life was and where I was going and, and how I always felt like I had to like perform or do something so that I would be accepted. And I remember reading those verses and I remember saying to God, God, if you really knew me, there's no way you could love me the way that this book says that you love me. And I remember just pouring my heart out to God. And it was in that moment, under that tree, with the word of God, that I felt like God was looking at me, that he was there with me, and I said, God, Lord Christ, if this is true, then I want to know you. 
And in that moment, I became a new creation. And my life changed. Let me ask you this. Do you have a tree that kind of represents your deepest hurts? Do you have a place where, where you just kind of hide and, and your, your deepest shame? Well, let me encourage you that wherever that is, that Jesus sees you. That he sees you right there. What if, what if there was a savior who knew everything about you, who understood everything about you the way that no one else did, who knew every ounce of sin and shame and loved you in the middle of it? The question then comes to us that says, would you follow him? If Jesus is who he says he is and he sees you and knows you and he loves you, the question is, will you follow him? You see, in this section of scripture, Jesus starts off by saying, what are you seeking? And then he ends with, will you follow me? Jesus, he knows what you need. He knows that you need to be both known and loved. Because to be known and not loved is rejection. But to be loved and not known is just simply sentimental. We need someone that knows us and loves us, that sees us in our darkest moments, our secret parts, our broken parts, and loves us anyway. That sees who we are. And here's the dilemma that we face, is that we know me, right? Like, like you know you. Like we know what's going on in here that no one else does. And we look at ourselves and we say things like, well, well, if, 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 I, if you really knew what was going on in here, he does. So much of us, like Nathaniel, we feel unlovable. We feel shameful. We feel afraid that, that, if, that if anyone were to see that, they wouldn't love us. So we keep a lot of it hidden under a, a fig tree. But, but looking up and moving forward starts with beholding Jesus. Starting with that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and that he makes us new when we call upon him, when he hears us, he forgives us. And Jesus is our sacrificial lamb who died upon the cross in our place so that under that tree, in our sin, he would absorb that within himself so that we could be made new. And so deep down, deep down we're all seeking. We're all seeking someone to deliver us and someone to save us and someone to give us a new identity and a new future. And so maybe you're here at the end of the year and you feel like Nathaniel, you feel vulnerable, you feel friendless, you feel empty, you feel guilty, and Jesus says, I know what you're seeking. Come and follow me. Listen, not only is this the first question that Jesus asks in the Gospel of John, but it's also the last. Jesus, after three days, crucified on the cross, buried in a tomb, Mary Magdalene shows up to the tomb weeping because she's looking for Jesus' body. And Jesus comes up into the garden behind her and says, 
Whom are you seeking? What are you looking for? Mary overcome with grief and, 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 and blinded with tears. She doesn't recognize him. And so Jesus does one simple thing that every one of us need. Is he says her name. He says, Mary, and she knows who it is. Jesus is the one she was searching for. Jesus is the one Nathaniel was searching for. And Jesus is the one that everyone, you and I, are searching for. And so what we need to end this year is to once again maybe hear Jesus call our name. To give us a new name, a new identity, and clothe us with forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself under that tree. You're frustrated with God and you need him to move in your life. My encouragement today is behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, and turn and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, it is in our darkest moments that you meet us where we are. It's in those times where our soul has no idea what to confess, that you see us. Jesus, you know us, and Jesus, you love us. And so, Lord God, in this moment right now, I ask God that we would behold you, that we would cry out to you, and that you would meet us under our trees of despair. And that God, this year, can be a year where we look up and that we move forward in knowing you and following you and trusting you obeying you and doing, God, what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, today, would you help us end this year beholding the Lamb of God, worshiping you, glorifying you, honoring you, laying down our lives once again for you because you laid down your life for us. And so, Jesus, today we pause we reflect, we rejoice that Jesus, we need you. Come, come and meet us here and be glorified in this place and in my life, everywhere in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need special prayer, we'll have some deacons in the back that would be Happy to pray with you. If you're here, you need to pause and reflect. Take this time now to do that. If you need to stand and rejoice and remember that Christ paid it all for you, let's do that. But let's end this year in a great moment of praise and worship. I love you guys. Thanks.